Evening, everybody. If you would, turn over to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. It's a very short psalm. It's only three verses. We'll read all three to begin with. Psalm 133, and look at verse 1. The psalmist says, Behold, pay special attention to this, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What's it like? Here's what it's like. It is like the precious ointment upon the head, that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. It's as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren, the Lord's people, to dwell together in unity. It's very good and it's very pleasant, isn't it? To be able to gather with the Lord's people, to be able to rally around the Lord Jesus Christ in dependence and in worship, being able to talk from your heart and about your heart, about the evilness of it about the disobedience of it, about the infirmities of it, about things like unbelief. And nobody looks at you cross. And nobody judges you because we all suffer from the same disease. To help one another, to console one another, and to bear one another's burdens, that's good, isn't it? And that's pleasant. That is a good and pleasant thing. Paul says this, though. In Ephesians 4, 3, he says, Endeavoring, working, striving to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what he's saying there? He's saying this is something you got to work at. This is something you have to give yourself to. This is something where you need to be intentional with your action. It's for this reason, that temporal peace that we enjoy with one another, that joy we feel around one another, that peace we have here in this world between us, it can be broken. Now, let me explain what I mean. We can't lose our union with Christ. And by virtue of who he is, and by virtue of us being the body and him being the head, we can't lose our spiritual union with one another. But that peace we enjoy with one another, we can lose that. And so he says, endeavor in this. Give yourself to this. Be intentional in it. And he mentions about four things. And would to God that he would cause me to do this when I deal with my brother. Four things. Not have an expectation that my brother would treat me this way, but have only an expectation for myself that I would treat my brother this way in lowliness, in meekness, in long-suffering, and forbearing one another, suffering one another for love's sake. That's how we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that peace, that sweet union is so good. But now all that being said, preeminently, that is not the first teaching out of this passage of Scripture. 
The first teaching out of the past, this passage of Scripture is how good and how pleasant union with Christ is. That's what it's talking about. What is union with Christ? All of the elect, we have always been one, united in one, in Christ. We're talking about spiritual geographic location, all located in one man, so much so that truly everything he has done. We did. That's it. And everything that was done to him, it's done to us just the same because you can't separate the two. Now, two examples are given here in the text. I'm only going to deal with one tonight, and that is simply because both of them relay the same thing. We only have so much time. But look down at verse 2 of your text, and let's read it together. What's union with Christ like? How good and how pleasant is it? It's like this, verse 2. It is like the precious ointment, the anointing oil, upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down, all the way down to the very skirts of his garment. Now, I got three things for you on this. Aaron, number one. Two, Aaron anointed. And three, that anointing oil that went all over the head and kept on running and covered the entire body all the way from head down unto the toe. Three things there. Number one, Aaron. Who was Aaron? Aaron was a high priest. Who does it speak of in this illustration here? Christ, our great high priest. We talked about that this morning. Christ, that one who makes intercession for his people, that one who stepped in the holy of holies in the very presence of his father with his own blood and makes effective intercession for all his chosen people. He brings them all to God and they are all accepted because of who came, who they come in, and what he has done. Aaron, Christ, Aaron anointed. Christ is God's anointing. We look at that this morning. Listen to this. This is Acts 10.38. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What does it mean to be anointed? We saw that this morning. Chosen of God. Appointed by God for a particular stat, task. And then given all necessary ornament to complete the task so that you cannot fail. Jesus Christ is the anointed of God. He gave him all the spirit. He gave him all power to do what? Well, what I just read there told us. He said he did good. To do good. Right there. He kept the law, and he kept it as an us. When he kept that law, we kept that law in him. And to deliver all those oppressed of the devil. That's his people right there, folks. Oppressed, captives, oppressed by sin, oppressed by death, cannot get out, captives of Satan himself, to oppress them from that, to save his people from their sins. That's what he was sent to do. And he did this all as in us, carrying all of us in him the entire time. Now, let's look at Aaron's anointing. Turn over to Exodus chapter 30.
Now when the high priest was anointed and the other officers of God were anointed, that bucket of oil, that spiced oil was dumped on their head. And just as we saw in the illustration, it would run down and would cover the head. It would cover the ears and would run down the beard and would cover the mouth. But in that illustration, where does it say it ended up? It went all the way down to the skirts of his garment. This went all the way down and what covered the head covered the body as well. Now let's read a little bit about Aaron's anointing. Look at verse 30. Exodus 30, verse 30. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Consecrate them. You know what that means? It means to sanctify. To take something that is common and ordinary and make it holy. And this is what this is talking about. How are God's people made holy? How are they sanctified? Well, it's very simple. This is what Hebrews 2.11 says. This is the sum and substance of all the teaching. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Because holiness courses through that man, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the head. It courses through the body as well. Because he is holy, we are holy in him. This thing about progressively getting holy, no, holiness is in Christ. If you're in Christ, the toe is as holy as the nose is, all the way through completely and utterly holy. But what by what means? This thing of being sanctified, I think we normally think of God the Holy Spirit being the one who sanctifies, the one who makes holy, and that's absolutely true. But in actuality, the scriptures say all of the Godhead, every person of the Godhead is accredited with this thing of sanctifying God's people. Let me give you a few things here. Jude 1.1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now Jude says God the Father sanctifies. In what way? To sanctify, to take something common and ordinary and set it apart and make it holy. What did God the Father do to sanctify his people? He set them apart. He chose them before the world ever began. He chose them unto salvation. But that choosing was in Christ. It all comes back to who's in Christ. Listen to this. This is Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Do you see what that says? Everybody the Father chose? There's only one place he chose them from, in his Son, in Christ. You see, this is an eternal union. That means every member of the elect, everybody God the Father chose to save, we have always been in Christ, we always will be in Christ, there will never be a time that we are separated from him. When he chose, he didn't have to look far to see where to choose from. He chose one man. Don just read it in his text right there. He's his elect. He chose Christ. And when he chose Christ, he chose everybody that was in him, sanctified by God the Father, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 16 says this, 
that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, by God the Holy Spirit. How does he sanctify? In regeneration. Because we are one with Christ, we have to have that same nature as the head. And so, because we were chosen in Christ, because we have always been in Christ, God the Holy Spirit comes at his appointed time and he gives you life. He gives you that very spirit and mind of Christ, that holy nature. That's what he does. But why does he do it? Because we're in Christ. Because that which surges through the head must surge through the body as well. It's all about spiritual geographic location. And it says this in Hebrews 10.10, by the which will, we are sanctified, we are made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Christ sanctifies us. He makes us holy, or made us holy, more particularly. And how did he do that? When he went to the cross. When he bore our sins in his body, when he suffered under the wrath of God and put those sins away, and his very righteousness is given to us. Why? Because it's ours. Because we are in Christ. He imputeth righteousness. He reckoned to be righteous. He can only reckon, he can only impute what is actually there. And here is the truth for every believer, for every member of the elect. We are righteous because we are in Christ. And when he did righteousness, we did righteousness as well in him. This is real. But all three members of the Godhead are used in this thing of sanctifying God's people. Now, let's look how this oil was composed. Look up at verse 22. It says, Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices, the chiefest, the best, of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, of an oil, olive, and hen. Now, he mentions here four chief principal spices, and this all speaks of what Christ did for his people, and they did too in him. Listen to this. Myrrh is the first one. I looked at some of these. Myrrh, two attributes. Bitter taste, but a sweet smell. Now, this is poetic language. This is something that Solomon said in the Song of Solomon, 113. It says, A bundle of myrrh is my beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. Poetic language, but they were talking about the custom of the day. The custom of the day was this. A woman, she would take a bundle of myrrh and she'd put it around her neck and she'd wear it right there above her heart. It had a sweet fragrance. Christ, our sweet-smelling savor before the Father. The bitterness of sin, he bore it. His righteousness becoming ours, therefore now, before the Father in Christ, we have a sweet-smelling savor. Why? Because of what the head did, and we did in him. Second thing here, cinnamon. Christ, our firmness and our uprightness. He's talking about a cinnamon stick. You ever seen one of those? It's erect, it's solid, it's upright, it stands up because Christ is upright before his Father, because he did everything his Father 
commanded him to do before the world ever began. He stands upright before the Father, and we do too. As he stands, we stand in him. And it's firm. It's hard. It's immovable. This thing of being in Christ, he can't be moved. We have always been there. We always will be there if you're a believer, and we cannot be moved from this unchangeable state. Calamus, Christ, our righteousness. Now, Calamus is interesting. It was a pole, a marsh reed, and the primary use throughout the Scripture, when you look, it was used for measuring, to see if something measured up to the exact measurement. So they'd take a reed and say, well, I want this reed to be about three cubits. So they'd measure out the cubits, cut it on both ends, this reed now measures three cubits. Everything's supposed to be three cubits. So you take the reed, measure it all out, right? Listen to this. Isaiah 36, verse 6 says this. Lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt. He's talking about the law. He's talking about a breaking of the law. Whereon if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all that trust in him. He talks about a broken reed. The law we broke. And he says if a man leans upon that, if he leans upon what he has done before the law, here's what that reed's going to do. It's going to pierce his hand. It's going to do him harm. If you come to God by way of the law, expect damnation. There's also hope in that verse of Scripture. That's exactly what Christ did. We broke the law, and he became all our law-breaking, and he leaned on it, and he suffered, and he was pierced through the hands and pierced through the side. And now, this is where the measurement comes in. Now, God the Father takes out that measuring stick of his holy law, and he stands it up, and he says, everybody has to meet this mark. They must be exactly this, the very righteousness of Christ. And we all meet the mark. We all meet the measurement because of what Christ did. And finally this, cassia. Christ, our just weight and our balance. Now, we get some interesting information about cassia in verse 24. It gives us some more information about how it was to be weighed. And of cassia, 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. What was the shekel of the sanctuary? It was a unit of weight. They kept it in the tabernacle, in the temple. And so on the Day of Atonement, or I'm sorry, rather, when a census was taken, everybody had to be numbered. Everybody who was numbered, a male of 20 years old, he had to have the atonement money, a half shekel. And he'd step up to that bar, and he'd bring that half shekel, and they would weigh it against the shekel of the sanctuary. Put it on the scales, you have the shekel of the sanctuary on one side, and the half shekel he brought. And it had to be an exact just weight and balance. It couldn't be more, and it couldn't be less. All God will accept is Christ. You take anything away from that, you try to add anything to it, it is a false weight and balance. He put it on there, and if it matched, if there is a just weight and a just balance, your name was written in that book, and you were accepted among the people. He is our just weight and our balance. He is our atonement. And through that, he paid our debt. Now, to where we are measured against God's holy law, there is a just weight and there is a just balance, all in Christ. 
And because of this, because Christ did all his Father gave him to do, he completely and utterly ransomed all his people, those in him, back to the Father. There is now another oil that flows upon him. Let me read this to you. This is Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The Father's gladness falls down upon the Son. It coats him, it envelops him, just like on Aaron. It covers the entire head. It runs down to the beard. It runs over the ears and over the eyes. But it doesn't stop there. It flows all the way down to the very skirts of his garments. The very oil of gladness falls on every elect child of God. Why? Because we're in Christ, just one place. Now, a logical question that many may ask. Todd asks this question all the time, and it's a good one to consider. Then how do I get in Christ? Let's look at it. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter one, look at verse thirty. It says, But of him, who's the him? That's God the Father. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Here's the answer. God has to put you there. Don't forget. This is an eternal union, one that did not have a beginning and will never have an end. You see, I can't get into Christ. I've either always been there or I never will be. This is a done deal. The Father had to put you there, but it's an eternal begetting, an eternal putting in Christ. So the question is not, how do I get in Christ? The question is, right now, am I there or am I not? That's it. It's the only question we need to ask. Finish the verse. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What does that mean? He is made unto us all these things. This is the wisdom of every believer. The only way I can stand before that holy and just God, the only logic, the only wisdom, this is this, I have to be in Christ. I have to have him walk in front of the Father with full acceptance, with full gladness because of what he's done, and he has to bring me with him. He cannot accept the head and not accept the little toe. I have to be brought before him. That's the only possible way. Him satisfying the perfect justice of God and making me what I was not before, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. One way, one way in Christ. Our righteousness. 
do you have any merit whatsoever? A man who has no merit whatsoever, and this is all he's got, he's got the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is my only righteousness before God. What he did, that's it. That's all I have. My only hope is that that's my history. Everything I ever done was what Christ did. That's it. Nothing more. He is my righteousness. Sanctification. All my sanctification, my holiness is found in this man because he is holy, because he did what was necessary to make me holy. I therefore am holy. The same holiness that courses through the head must course through the body, but it's all about location because I'm in Christ. That's it. And my redemption, I'm bought and paid for by price. There is a just weight and balance because Christ shed his precious blood. The Father is appeased. And now the mercy he shows me, it's a just mercy. It does absolutely no damage to his just character because the way he did it, oh, it's a good weight and it's a good balance. It's all fair and it's all right. And folks, if that's the case for you, Christ has been made unto you all these things. And that's because the Father put you there eternally. Short message, but I'm going to leave you there.